I have a new earpiece or headset. So the birdie is in the nest. Is it working all right? Okay. Plenty loud up here. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning in the house of the Lord. And uh, always grateful for blue skies and warm days. Grateful that I'm putting my wood-burning stove to rest for a little while. Because it's plenty warm enough on its own. We, um, on our communion Sundays now, we are going through our covenant class material. And we're not really following that. When I say we, it's me. I'm not really following it that closely. And so it's to prevent it from becoming just kind of a dry teaching. You can get the booklet. You can look through it on your own. And I encourage you to do that. But I want to just kind of use it as a springboard to even be more comprehensive in uh, why we have put what we put in that book. And we have talked a little bit about our church history as a people of God. If it's, if it's a kind of a membership booklet or a covenant class booklet, why are we even a church? Why do we meet? Why do we do the things we do? Uh, why would somebody be interested in being a part of this church family? Well, we tried to compile those questions and answers and put them into this book. So we looked at our history. We looked at our history as believers, as the people of God. And how important it is for every church to be connected to the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. And we also took some time to look at our specific story because every church, every individual church has its own story. Now, how did we come into being? And I shared that with you last time. And also the importance of church membership or covenant classes. And how it connects us to God's idea of the body of Christ having every uh, member and each member being an important part of his kingdom plan. The very first topic in our covenant booklet is the topic of doctrine. You can't really talk about church without bringing up the the topic of doctrine. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, doctrine. And doctrine has to do with what people believe. It's a set of beliefs. What people believe, and the reason doctrine is important is because we act based on what we think is right. It's just human nature. If we think this is true, then we're going to live according to what we think is true. And so even though doctrine can be uh, boring, I'll talk a little bit about some people want nothing to do with doctrine because it's divisive. I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. It's, it's crucial. Doctrine is really everything. And whether we realize it or not, we're basing our lives and our daily decisions on our doctrine for life. Uh, things like parenting has to do with, well, what do we believe is the purpose of childbearing and parenting? What's the purpose of discipline and how we should do it? We, we wrestle as humans with all these things in our lives. But how do we know the truth? We want to do what's best for our marriages and our families. But how do we know what's true? What is the best approach? Well, that has to do with doctrine. I was thinking about even before um, the service this morning, I smelled the food and I'm like, I'm already hungry. I got to wait. But even dieting, health and fitness, 
It's not just something that we randomly pick out of a variety of baskets. There, there are, there's a purpose for people's desire to want to fe- be fit. The whole idea of healthiness. Uh, this morning we talked about um, the law in Galatians and how the law serves a variety of purposes. It's hard to keep up with all the purposes that the law serves. But one of them is to, uh, to reveal our sin. The Apostle Paul says, I didn't, I didn't know how sinful I was until I was told not to do something. And so I, I, I was smelling that food and I was thinking that the idea came to me, diet. And how I played, applied the law, this is just random gee whiz information to show you how twisted my thinking is. But or could use the illustration of like wet paint, do not touch wet paint. What do we want to do? We want to touch it. You just mentioned the word diet to me. I want to eat everything. It's like the exact opposite of what a diet would be for or healthy eating would be for. But I just have, like I go through all these mental gymnastics of, okay, a diet. Well, I guess the best thing to do is just eat all the junk that's in the house right now because, of course, it would mess my diet up. So rather than throw it out, no, we got to eat it. You know, now I'm a good steward of everything. So, you know, it's just all these different ideas that go on in our heads. But doctrine tells us how to think. Uh, Doctrine really, the, the life that you're living, you're revealing what you really believe. You're, you're revealing, when you come to church and sit here and, and how you apply yourself to God's word and to God's praise and to God's people, it, it's revealing to us what we really value, what we think is important, and what we think is true. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, doctrine. And I want to open with a few scriptures, kind of as a springboard for the topic. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 Probably many of you have memorized these scriptures or this, these verses. All scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. And goes on to say, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Now, just that one verse is a great description of what God's word does and the purposes. We're talking about rebuking, so confrontation. Um, telling us when we've crossed the line, encouraging us to stay on the right side of the line, training in righteousness. So it's, it's this depth of truth and purpose. And then I'll throw in there um, Peter one twenty, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And I add that because when we're talking about doctrine, or I should probably specify... Bible doctrine or church doctrine. We're talking about truths that have come from God's Word. We're not talking about you know, the elders or the, or the leaders, the deacons, getting together and, and putting our minds together and trying to figure out what's true and how we should lead our people in it. We're talking about mining God's royal treasury for what He's already revealed, the truths that are already here. It's not from man. Now, we, we, we wrestle with them, we interpret them, but the truths themselves come from God. So we talk about church doctrine. I want to make sure we understand that it's coming from Holy Scripture. 
That's what we're wrestling with. We're trying to do the best we can at understanding what God has revealed in His Word. Because the word doctrine in and of itself just means teaching. Uh, or a set of beliefs that a group hold to. It can be a church. It can be political parties. We, we ascribe to this set of beliefs. Uh, perhaps you were in your history class, you heard about the Monroe Doctrine. And how our country said we will no longer be looked upon as a colonization or our own people. Or even more relevant, the Truman Doctrine. There, there's a sense in which the, the Truman Doctrine right now is being played out with the Ukrainian crises. Because the Truman Doctrine, after the war, said that the United States will come and assist any democratic nation that is under threat of authoritarianism. Which is exactly what we're seeing in our day and time. Now that has been... That kind of gave root. It's no longer in play right now, but it gave birth to NATO. Just the whole idea of how nations will interact geopolitically. So it's based on a set of beliefs. Ours is taken from, or the church, or, or Bible doctrine. We're saying God has revealed truth to us, so that's what we're going to draw from. And He's given us His Word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he protect, He's protected this Word this compilation of His truth, this special revelation. And the Holy Spirit uh, guides man in preserving it and teaching it. So it's, it's all of God. It's God's resources. Now, if you were to look at our covenant class material under the topic of doctrine, you'll see 12 major doctrines there. And you think, well, why just 12? I mean, surely the Bible has a whole lot more to say than just 12 things. Well, we mention these because there are certain doctrines or truths that God has revealed to us that are very, very clear and important in Scripture. So these are the comp compilation of truths that are the defining line of whether a person is even a true believer or not, or a true Christian. In other words, these are the things that God in His revelation says are true and therefore need to believe, and they, we need to believe them. And they are important in the sense that they reveal the true nature of God and salvation and redemption. So if we don't have proper knowledge of how to know God and who He is, and then how He has made a plan for us to be reunited with Him and redeemed, then we're still lost. So these are the most important doctrines. And they, uh, you've heard the term orthodoxy. These are, this is the standard belief that through the ages, even through church history, as scholars and pastors came and poured themselves over God's Word to try to understand what, is, what does God really mean by that, and they use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And they, they come to conclusions. And so the, the orthodox doctrines of the church, these are the conclusions that are time-tested and proven. They've been debated thousands of times. Councils have been formed through these things. And they have stood the test of time as, yes, God clearly has spoken these truths to us. And this is the these are the defining factors of what Christianity really is.
right? I mean, we have to have a definition of what it is and what it is not. So that's why there's only 12. Are there more doctrines to consider? Absolutely. We talk about them every Sunday, things that God has revealed to us. But they are not necessarily a matter of life and death or salvation in heaven and hell. So we can believe more about God's Word, but not less when it comes to orthodox doctrine. To veer from these particular truths is to veer from properly knowing God. So, for example, something that you're probably very familiar with is, um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. What's, what's one of the differences between, say, our church or a Christian church and Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, it's doctrine. The Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ is God or equal to God, but that he is, that God created him. So he's a created God. That's their conclusion about Scripture. And it's not an original thought. It comes all the way from 325 A.D. by a man named Arian. And then you, believe it or not, it's called Arianism. It's the thought that he looked at God's word and he sees where uh, God is, is spirit. And so, and he's holy and flesh can't be holy. So Jesus became a man, but he can't be God because he's flesh. He's got to be one or the other. And so the theory was, well, the conclusion, which was wrong, was that, well, he must not be God. God just made him a lesser God. So these things are important because we want to rightly worship God. We want to rightly know God. We want to know that we're pleasing him. And so the Jehovah's Witnesses will consider themselves Christians. But Christians do not consider Jehovah's Witnesses true believers. It gets even worse with Mormonism because Mormonism doesn't even draw all of its doctrine, its set of beliefs from Scripture. A lot of it comes from a uh, an additional revelation from, through Joseph Smith, who said he heard from God, and this is what, how God wants us to live. This is what God wants us to believe. And it gets even farther from the truth. And their belief is that God was created. He was, he's a man, and at one time he had a family. And their infamous teaching is that as man is now, God once was. As God is now, man may become. So, doctrine is an attempt to tell us who we are, who God is, and what our story is. We want to get it right. And as evolved as we are in our era or age, we still get it wrong. So, that, that's why it's important for us to understand these things. There's such a thing as false doctrine. So the ones that we have included, we've included these in our covenant booklet. It's a statement from New Covenant Fellowship that, that says we're a church that adheres to the historic doctrines of God's church as hammered out by the church fathers that came before us and the leaders that came before us. They were thoroughly discussed, and this is what defines Christianity, and this is what must be maintained. 
John 10.35, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken. So we seek it. It's, it's God's gift to us. And He oversees its understanding, its preservation. It can't be compromised. So there are a lot of things in Scripture uh, that are important, but not as important as these doctrines. Not a matter of whether you're saved or not. Not a matter of... Uh, a, a proper understanding of God. And it doesn't mean that they're not important because in the end, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Right? Two, two opposites, something that's false is never going to be true. We just got it wrong. But it just means that it's not necessarily going to... The whole church or your life isn't going to crumble based on some of the things that we still wrestle with regarding Scripture. The Westminster Confession of Faith uh, talks about Scripture's perspicuity, and that is it's clear. And what it says is that there are teachings in Scripture, and I would say they're talking about the Orthodox teachings. They've been debated, and they're clear enough, and they're understandable enough so that anyone who's seeking after God can understand these and come to God and find God. They're that clear. They're not that complicated. That's why we have children. Young children have a saving knowledge of Christ. They don't know everything, but they know the important doctrines. This is what we do to get to God. But it doesn't say that everything is Scripture. Some people take it too far and say, well, everything is Scripture is clear. I just need the Holy Spirit. and He tells me what, how to understand it. If only it was that simple. But in reality, it's not. Uh, churches don't agree. We don't agree on everything. Even in our tight little leadership circle, there are di- we have different little nuances of beliefs or how to apply Scripture. And so, it's, so it doesn't mean that everything is simple. We will scratch our heads. And we will, but, but if we are true believers, we will rally around what we know is clear and true. And that will unite us. It's enough through the Holy Spirit to... Unimus. And also, you know, the reformers had uh, ecclesia semper referenda est, and it means always reforming. And it's not, so, so they're clear to make it um, accessible in the sense that we don't, we're not, um, we don't have like the final compilation of every truth in Scripture. And what they mean by that is, we're still, we have orthodox theology and doctrine, but we're still learning things about Scripture. Things are still being discovered. Um, there are texts, scriptural texts that have been copied and preserved that are discovered through archaeological finds and biblical civilizations. And as we learn more about their culture and their history, and as we have more biblical copies of biblical texts to examine, we can even refine our understanding of certain things to a greater extent. So that's what they mean by, we can't, like I can't say I know everything there is to know about the Bible right now. Because new light may come to pass in that sense. So there's things that Christians differ on. Uh, For instance, head coverings. You come to that scripture where it talks about a woman covering her head and and the purpose of all that. And so we have some churches that take that scripture and 
as a matter of obedience. I'm, I'm disobedient to the Lord if I don't have a head covering. You have other Christians who don't interpret it that way. It's not a matter of salvation or, or a proper understanding of God. It's more a matter of obedience. And there's wiggle room for these things. There's a lot of scriptures that we can't say, yes, we have absolutely nailed it like we can with these orthodox teachings. So we give each other grace and understanding in our pursuit of these things. Now, we also have differences within the church on uh, baptism. Some Christian churches that maintain orthodox beliefs, they sprinkle infants, infant baptism. Other churches like ours, we do the full immersion and believer's baptism. So there's a difference here. Now, it's important to understand that it's not a difference in whether Christians should be baptized. All the Christians agree that that's what the Scripture teaches. So there's unity in that. It's the mode of baptism. So some churches say that They infant baptize as a sign of the covenant, the new covenant. In the old covenant, you had circumcision. That was the sign. didn't make you saved, but that was a sign of the old covenant. And they would say in the new covenant, baptism, infant baptism doesn't make you saved, but it's a sign of being in the new covenant family. That's a valid argument. I don't ascribe to that argument, but it doesn't make me furious because I see the line of thinking. So then why don't we ascribe to that? Because I think if you look at the scriptures, that's more of an argument from history. And it's assumed because you don't find that connection in scripture. When you see how people are being baptized in scripture, you see them being taken to water, bodies of water, and being immersed. And it's because they have professed Christ. So we just think it's more accurate to practice that mode the way that we do it. And that's why we we do it. So there's a lot of different things that we can look at in Scripture and draw different conclusions, but it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of Christianity. We can respect that. Church polity. We'll look at church polity or church leadership when we get to that section. There are churches, so our church looks at Scripture and we see the teaching of a plurality of leadership, a plurality of elders. There are other churches that say, no, only pastors can be elders and anybody else that serves in a leading capacity, they're just deacons. We can't call them elders. So, see, there's wiggle room here. But the the main teaching is still present, but the fine-tuning of how it's applied, there, there are some differences. So we ascribe, getting back to the orthodoxy, we ascribe to the twelve that connect us to Christianity as it's known, understood, and believed. And I'm not going to preach through all 12, especially not this morning, but I'm not going to preach through all 12 of these even throughout this year. I'm going to kind of pick and choose which ones I highlight. I'll mention all of them at one time. But I want to at least mention what the 12 beliefs are. They pertain to Holy Scriptures such as the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, to God, to the Trinity, our belief in Jesus Christ, or say what, what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, creation, fall, and the state of man. Are we born as sinners? Do we have a 
Is there something about us that sometimes wants to do wrong? That's, that's doctrine. That's theology. Salvation, the church, the second advent, the final state and future life, the judgment, and Satan. So you can see where doctrine is important. If you truly believe that at the end of your life, you're going to face a righteous judge and give account for what you have done with your life, it's going to alter how you live every day. And we may not consciously wake up thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to meet the judge any time now, so I better do this. But we are we, we are recalculating and we're, we're adjusting our decisions on life. How we treat people, how we do things, because in the back of our mind is this belief that someday we will face the king. So they, they can be boring, but they're not. They're very, very applicable to our everyday life. Uh, these are in the booklet, by the way, the covenant booklet. Um, if you have one, if you haven't read it for a while, or you can borrow one, or they're, they're very standard doctrinal beliefs uh, written in our booklet. You can take a look at those. I encourage you to do that. So I'm reminded of Paul's teaching when we talk about doctrine. What did the Apostle Paul have to say about it? Say to a young believer who's really seeking after God, he wants to serve God with his life. Here's some Advice from Pastor Paul, if you will, in 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now that is a powerful piece of advice. Watch how you live And watch what you let into your head. Watch what you understand. Don't just handle God's word and his teaching flippantly. But pay very close, stare at it, meditate on it. Make sure that that you're understanding these things. You're put on guard when it comes to God's truth. And we have to watch it so that we don't stray from it. And watch it so that false doctrine doesn't slip into our thinking, and also anybody that we might be in charge of or anybody that we're sharing God's word with because it can be a matter of death and life and death, the Apostle Paul says. So we as New Covenant Fellowship need to be a, a people who are characterized by watching our doctrine. We need to, to be studious. We need to put the time and the effort into understanding properly who God is and what he has taught you know, there's, um, there's the church through the ages. If you look at church history and you look at the word doctrine and how the church has handled doctrine, it's kind of gone. There's been ups and downs. There have been seasons of the church where doctrine was so important and a, a high view of God's word was present. And then there's been seasons where the church is like, oh, I'm sick and tired of that doctrinal stuff. Don't even try to jam that God, that stuff down my throat because all it does is cause division and hurt people's feelings and and so forth so there's just been different views of god's truth and doctrine different attitudes that's not that important what's the big deal just believe i believe in god that's all i gotta do to get in heaven or one person told me 
I just, all you got to do is, I, I just obey the Ten Commandments and I'm right with God and I get to heaven. That's bad theology right there. That's bad doctrine. So that person, if, if that person really believed that all I got to do is obey the Ten Commandments and I get to heaven, what's going to happen when they die? They're not going to get to heaven based on that belief. At least that's not what God actually says. So these things are important. And our attitude towards doctrine needs to be upright and sincere. Because sin ruins beautiful things and God's beautiful law. So there's one thing to... You have man's understanding of doctrine, but then you have God's understanding. Can doctrine be divisive? Yeah. And that's why some people just throw their arms up and say, I'm tired of doctrine. It can be divisive for two reasons. First of all, because we're sinful. And even though God has gifted us with these beautiful truths, we can misuse them. We can try to manipulate people with them. We can try to use them for our own selfish gain. We can try to use them to have power over people. Sometimes there are the grossest examples some of the grossest examples of sin in humanity I've ever read about were misuse of doctrine. How men or leaders of the heads of households have misused doctrine to ruin their wives and their children. Or how pastors or leaders have misused doctrine to misguide people. It's, it, it can really take a bad turn. So doctrine can be very divisive because of a sinful way that we handle it. But it can also be divisive because there's a sense in which it's created to be divisive in that there really is such a thing as right and wrong and true and false. So when we're reading Scripture, Jesus really is. He's trying to corral us through the promptings of the Holy Spirit and through His revelation into the side of truth and away from error. But because there's a difference between false gods and the real God, if we believe in false gods, then we will be separated from the truth and the true God. So scripture and doctrine in and of itself is divisive in that it has to be because there's a right or a wrong. You know, it's interesting that in essence, our eternity really comes down to a true or false question. Do you ever have that true or false question on your exam? And, you know, multiple choice is so much easier because at least you have different things to look at and think about, different options. But true or false, it's like this is either true or this is false. God is either true or God is false as he has revealed himself. So in that sense, it comes down to a true or false question. Is God real or is he not? And if he is real then this is how we are supposed to revere Him, worship Him, live, and treat one another. I like this quote by Edward Carnell. It says, When a decision must be made between unity and truth, unity must yield to truth. For it's far better to be divided by truth than to be united by error. So in a church context, that's a powerful statement. Because there are some churches that read the scriptures about being unified 
and how Christ would have us to be unified. And that is absolutely true. But we can't be unified at the expense of truth. Because then we're unified, we're all agreeing on something that is erroneous. That's not pleasing to God. So we can't get away from the importance of doctrine. So what are some of the biggest doctrinal battles of today? If we're going to watch our doctrine, what things are coming across our computers or coming to us in the mail? What are the theological challenges? We know a lot of the old ones say like the Arianism and with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and so forth. But what are some new ones? Well, there's such a thing as um, a belief. It's, been, it's not really new anymore, but pr- probably about 30 years old. Open theism. I'm just going to give a few examples. Open the- theism is the belief that um, God doesn't know the future. And so he decides the future based on man's free will decisions. So we still have people that are studying the scriptures and trying to understand God and salvation and his word and his plan. And in my opinion, are still drawing wrong conclusions. It's right to try to come to a even more a finer tuned understanding of God. But that but we have to be careful not to err from orthodoxy. So open theism, open theism kind of negates the idea of the sovereignty of God and the plan of God and knowing the future and his omniscience in favor of man's free will. Uh, Another um, challenge that we have faced more recently, perhaps you've heard of the emergent church or the emerging church. That term may have crossed your desk at one time. What is that? Well, that's mostly 20 or 30-somethings. And they've kind of, they're, they're, they got fed up with how fake the church has come, become and how plastic uh, and how, uh, I guess, upper class in some senses. It's, it's about being upper class and making a certain mark in society and being, uh, reaching a certain level of morality and so forth. And they kind of are, were tired of that and they wanted to make it more, church more about relationship and unity. Now, there's, in any false doctrine, you always find good in it, or it wouldn't even, we wouldn't even be hearing about it. But the problem, what became the problem of the emergent church is that it began to um, not hold doctrine as important as relationship and unity. And so when you start, re- you start reading about the emergent church, well, what do they believe? Is this, is this a good thing or, or not? They don't really want to tell you what they believe. Um, it's hard to even understand what they believe. Do they still believe in orthodoxy or not? So I've recently heard the expression like nail and jelly on jello on the wall. It's a hard thing to do, right? If you ask an emerging church person, well, you know, trying to understand what you believe in is true as false. It's like nail and jello on the wall. And they would say, yeah, why would you want to nail jello on the wall? It's like it's, everything is vague. They don't want to be locked down into truth. Which means, if that's true, then it's just going to be a fad and it won't last because things that, that aren't founded on truth don't last. Because if you don't draw a line for what's true and right, then 
Anything goes, and when anything goes, then you don't really stand for anything anymore, and there's, you, you lose your uniqueness. So those are just, there's, there's always modern doctrinal challenges that, um, that we'll face as individuals and as a church. We have to be aware of these kind of things. They'll creep right on in. We've got to watch our life and watch our doctrine. I'd be surprised if there were many people here that even have ever heard of open theism or the emergent church. But there are things that we need to, to keep our eyes on. But what I want to do, and I'm going to close here, is I want to talk about something that is very important. And that is just the whole idea of truth. Because doctrine is God's truth. And while... Sometimes we as Christians are trying to fine-tune beliefs, say we're trying to figure out, wait a minute, is okay for Christians to get tattoos? When did we change our view on that? The, the, wild, the, the wider view of our culture in general is, is there even such a thing as truth? So we as believers will look at God's word and say, okay, within this body of truth, is this true or is this right? And yet our culture that we live in looks at truth itself, God or no God, and says, is there even such a thing as truth? So you see the challenge that we have? It's not just Bible doctrine, but it's beyond that in the sense that while we're trying to convince somebody that what God says is true, this person may not even believe in truth to begin with. And that's what we're faced with in our day and age because of post-Christian society or post-modernism that believes more in relativism instead of absolute truth. I think that, for the most part, that's our main battle. A church doctrine is very important, but to get somebody to believe in a God that's true, they have to believe in truth, right? So we hear things today like, your truth is not my truth. Or it's okay for you to believe that God is true. And it's okay for you to believe there is no such thing as God. That's your truth and that's your truth. And everybody is, seems to be okay with their own personal opinion or perspective as being true. But we know that doesn't work in real life. And that is not how God reveals himself to the world. He reveals himself to the world as the one true God and that everything he says is true. He reveals himself as the standard of truth. I would say that this idea of no truth or relativism, it's a societal suicide. It's a a suicide. We We cannot maintain ourselves without believing in something that's right and seeking after it. It's a spiritual suicide as well. So we get into the difference between subjective truth, and I'll just spend a few minutes on this and and close. The, The rule today is truth is subjective. In other words, it comes from the subject, me as the observer. I get to look out, make my own observations, and declare my own truth based on what I think about it. As opposed to objective truth, and that is, no, there's a truth that exists outside of you, 
It, it really doesn't even need your opinion when it gets right down to it because it's just true on its own merits, its own standard. That's biblical doctrine. It's an objective truth. It doesn't, it doesn't depend on anybody's opinion. It doesn't depend on anybody's adherence to it. God is true, and all that he speaks is true. And that's just the way it is. That's objective truth. So as believers, we try to we adhere that, believe it, and we try to conform our lives to what God says is true. Rather than coming up with our own standards, our own set of beliefs, and following after those, which usually change according to the next cultural fad. A definition of truth is simply put that which corresponds to reality. It's just real. It's the world that we live in. In one sense, it's not so hard to see. God's word is true. Now, let me close with this verse in Luke. When we think about how do we know truth? Epistemology is the the fancy word. How do we even know what's true? Well, throughout the ages, some people have said, well, we... We have to rely on our senses. If I can feel it, taste it, and so forth, see it, then I know it's true, but I can't trust my mind. And then another season of history, a man decided, no, we can't really trust our eyes and our ears and our perception. We can really only trust our own reason. And then the scientific age came, and the scientific theory put both of those together, which was a beautiful thing. No, we need our perception, and we need to use our brains in order to come to a truth. Luke chapter 1, I'll read these four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write... An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, that's an interesting piece of Scripture. Because what is he saying? He's saying history matters. He's saying what, in other words, real life matters. What happens matters. And what happened is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And I've been tracking this, he says. And I have been talking to the people who have made these claims and they have, they have witnessed these things and there are lots of witnesses to back it up. And there are parts of it that have been recorded and I'm trying to put all of this together in the, using the best tools that man has to know what's true. It's people who saw... With their, so you have empirical or empiricism and also people who have wrestled, wrestled through it with their mind, rationalism or reason. And he puts it all together. Why? Because I want you to be certain. I don't want people hopping in and out of this, but I want you to know, look at the evidence, look at the facts, look at the reality of the situation so that you can know what's being taught is real and true. And not be so fragile and tentative in every decision you make with putting your life behind it. So we have historical evidence. It's all right there. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20, God talks to his people, Israel. Come, now let us reason together. 
Use your mind. Look, this is the situation. Uh, you've been rebelling against me and it's not going well for you, right? Return to me. I'll wash you. I'll clean you. So he's using, he's engaging the mind. Then there's this, so you have a, a empiricism or rationalism, but then as Christians we have our third source of truth that trumps them all. And what is it? Revelation. We don't, trust just our own eyes. We don't trust just our own minds. What's over top of all of this is what God has spoken. Special revelation. And that trumps everything. All our decisions, all of our discoveries, because God is real. And what will happen is if science is correct and true, accurately applied, it will only continue to confirm the existence of God. And the creation of God. And the narrative of God. So I want to make it clear that whenever I talk about doctrine, I'm talking about what God has given us. Not something that I came up with or that the leadership came up with or that I read in a book. It's coming straight from God's book. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's how we want to approach Him and worship Him. So we are the people of God. And as a church, we're the people of God together. God calls us together. We're in covenant with God and therefore we're in covenant with one another. And it is in Christ Jesus that we have our being, that we have our breath. And we get to participate in the reality of the Spirit of God here among us this morning. We get to obey God through the holy sacrament of communion because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we get to praise God and worship as an act of obedience and gratitude for the real God coming into our lives and enlightening our hearts. So, worship team, if you guys would come forward, may God bless the preaching of His Word.